Welcome to Dicey Stuff, the podcast about life, because, well, the dicey stuff is the realest stuff of our lives. Come along as Lois examines living as a Christian woman in this modern age. Time to roll. Welcome to Dicey Stuff, the podcast, episode three. Remember that everything, all of living is dicey. The women in the Bible lived through and did some seriously dicey stuff. We can learn from the lives of these women, and we'll look at many of them over many episodes in the form of Bible stories. This first dicey Bible story is about Eve, the mother of all living. In Genesis 2, for the very first time in the scripture, the words, not good, are used together. At the end of each day of creation, God sees what he has made, and it is good. Day after day, it is good. It is good. On the sixth day, when the Lord God finishes his new world and has made humans in his own image, God doubles down and says, it is very good. Each animal is named and has a partner, and it's all good. But wait, there's no one in all of creation for Adam. Adam is alone. The Bible says in Genesis 2, 18-25, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Whew! Eve was quite a woman. Seriously, though, can you imagine opening your eyes for the first time as one of only two humans on the planet? You don't have a mom or a dad to teach you, but you have the Lord God. You don't have other humans to imitate, but you have the Lord God. We, on the other hand, learn so much from others, almost by osmosis, from the second we're born. I'm sure it was different because Eve wasn't created as an infant but there still must have been a learning curve, I would think. But then, Eve's home was in Eden. Everything was perfect. Sin had not yet entered the world. There was nothing to hurt her or cause any kind of pain. Can you imagine walking with God in the cool of the day, maybe chatting about the stately lion and the fluffy lamb who get along just fine? Can you imagine pointing out to the creator of the universe a particularly beautiful bloom that you have discovered in the garden and your maker's playful response to your joy? 
Can you imagine sharing the deepest thoughts of your heart with God himself without any fear of rejection? Can you imagine being naked and unashamed with no knowledge that anything would ever be or could ever be different than that? Eve was created as a wife, a helper, fit for Adam. She suited him. She was part of him. She was his other half. Eve was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Their union was perfect, harmonic, beautiful. They fit together like like a man and a woman. There was no discord or disharmony. They enjoyed one another's company always. They tended the garden together, taking responsibility together, caring for God's beautiful, perfect creation together. And now, the crafty serpent comes to Eve and says, Did God really say? There are so many dicey things happening at this juncture that it's hard to take them all in. The scripture makes no mention that Eve is surprised that the serpent exhibits the power of speech, which would be completely surprising to us. Totally aside and unimportant in the grand scheme of things, but curious nevertheless, does the snake have legs now? since he's not cursed to slither on his belly until after the fall? Whether he has legs or not, this old dragon is a piece of work. He puts in Eve's mind the question that what she knew God had said wasn't what God had actually said. And even before the big fall had happened with the eating of the fruit, Eve fell into unbelief. She fell for the snake's subtle ways. She starts to doubt. And she even adds her own caveat to God's simple and clear instructions. Maybe she already thinks she knows better than God himself? Earlier, in chapter 2 of Genesis, the Lord God had said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But when Eve responds to the serpent's question, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? She says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But God himself hadn't said anything about them not touching the fruit of that tree. There's a dicey game afoot, my friends, and Eve is sliding down the pathway to destruction at a breakneck clip. Daydream with me for a moment now. Can you see that sweet fruit hanging from the branch of the tree of knowledge? It's glistening a bit in the bright, beautiful sunshine. Its color is rich. Its shine is lovely. Pop quiz. Is the fruit you're conjuring an apple? Isn't it funny that we may picture an apple or a pear in our mind's eye, but the scripture only says it was fruit? Do you see your hand reaching out and plucking that fruit? It looks so harmless. It looks so delicious. There really can't be any danger in one bite, can there? After all, wouldn't God want you to be wise just like him? 
Hmm. What is wisdom exactly according to the scripture? Well, the book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing, loving, and trusting God are the wisest things that Eve could have and should have done. Close your eyes. Unless you're driving, then please don't close your eyes. But try to imagine tasting the fruit. Your teeth break the skin and sink into the flesh. The sweet juice bursts into your mouth. As you taste the fruit, before you've even had a chance to swallow, imagine the sensation in your soul as your eyes open for the very first time to the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. Eve has only ever known good to this point. Think of the horror of realizing for the first time that you are naked. Naked and ashamed. Imagine for the very first time being afraid of your creator, the one who made you from the rib of your man. Imagine that little death that Eve died. Her body didn't physically die that day. She lived many more years and had children. But that day... Eve was half dead because she was separated from God. Sin separates from God. This is dreadfully dicey stuff. And it gets worse. This woman who was made for Adam, who was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, who was a helper fit for him, who was given because it was not good for Adam to be alone, turns and gives a bite of poison fruit to her dear husband. Ah! Genesis states that Adam was with her, and that she gave him some of the fruit to eat. This is bizarre. In the first place, why would Eve bring certain death upon Adam? The promise was that whoever ate would die. Eve surely wasn't being a helper fit for her man at that moment. In the second place, why did Adam eat the fruit? And why did he not talk her out of eating it? This man of Eve's wasn't acting as a good husband, was he? Paul writes to Timothy that Eve was deceived by the serpent and fell into transgression. But Adam was not deceived. Some theologians who are a whole lot smarter than I am have said that Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he ate. So, the world is no longer shiny brand new. Eve and Adam want to cover the shame of their nakedness, and thus they begin the first clothing manufacture in the world. I wonder how on earth they came up with sewing fig leaves together. I'm sure some of you love to sew, but it gives me hives. I should find a seamstress to interview on this podcast and see if she can give us some basic sewing skills to help those of us who are challenged in that department. But back to Eve. Suddenly she went from naked and unashamed, to trying to hide her shame and her nakedness, and maybe even the very first, does this dress make me look fat? question. Maybe they encourage each other, Adam and Eve. You'll never know. You look great. It's terribly sad when you think about it. Now they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Oh, the fear. Oh, the shame. Oh, the horror. 
Can you imagine why Eve and Adam hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God? They couldn't enjoy his presence anymore. They couldn't look him in the eye and admit their failure. They didn't even try. They didn't throw themselves at his feet and beg his mercy. Instead, they're circling the trees, staying on the backside, ducking behind bushes, trying to keep away from the divine presence. Even as believers, we ought to understand their fear. We Christians have a healthy fear of God in the sense that we know that God is completely holy and righteous, and we are not, and sinners cannot survive in the presence of God. Not because God is mean and hates sinners, but because if a sinner enters the presence of God, that sinner doesn't survive. Those two things, sin and God, are mutually exclusive. They can't exist in the same place at the same time. Except on the cross. There, God and sin meet face to face. And we know the outcome of that face-off. God died and lived again, and the sin of the world was forgiven. God is not angry with us. He is satisfied with the sacrifice of his Son. Our Christian fear of God is tempered by faith that the payment for sin, the blood of Jesus, has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and made us acceptable in his sight. We can survive, and not only survive, we can rejoice in his presence. Back to Eve hiding behind the fig bush. Do you hear the voice of the Lord God in the garden? He's calling his wayward children. Where are you? That voice had to strike terror into the heart of Eve. Maybe she's thinking, he's looking for us. Does he know? Maybe he doesn't know. How could he know? Her man Adam bravely tells the Lord that he hid because he was naked. And God's reply is, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Now the blame game starts. Adam blames Eve. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So God asks Eve, what have you done? And Eve blames the snake. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Ultimately, though, Adam and Eve both blame God himself. Adam says, the woman that you gave me. And Eve implies, the serpent that you created. God doesn't ask the talking snake any questions at all. He promptly curses the serpent and takes away his legs. Eve may have drawn some comfort from the first bit of gospel that God spoke to the serpent. Not to Eve, to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But Eve also must have felt a shiver of fear hearing that the serpent was cursed and that this terrible hostility between her offspring and the offspring of the serpent would continue. Imagine her surprise to learn that the snake really didn't have her best interests at heart. 
Eve must also have wondered at the words that the Lord God directed toward her. She would experience pain in childbirth? What's pain? And what's childbirth? Wait, we know those things. And now there will be antagonism and strife in her marriage? And Adam's going to lord it over her? What does that even mean? Wait, we know. Now the ground is cursed, and thorns and thistles will spring up for all their toil and trouble. What are thorns and thistles? Wait, we know. God says, you will return to the ground from which you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. What does this mean? We know. Oh, how we know. Death is an enemy that tears from us our loved ones, our parents, our children, our own selves. Next, we see God shaking his head at the fig leaf clothing, as if he's saying, that will never do. The Lord God calls an animal to himself, a trusting, innocent bystander in this whole sordid affair, and the Redeemer, Savior, friend of man, for the very first time, takes life rather than giving it. The animal is slaughtered. Pain is everywhere. Blood is everywhere. Death is everywhere. The other animals scatter in fear. This is a new thing, and it is not good. There is now much in the world that is not good. The beast is skinned, and God wraps the new skin garments around Adam and Eve. The skins are still warm with the lifeblood of the animal. But as the days pass, they must begin to smell and then to stink. What a constant reminder. Oh, the depth of the regret that must have filled our first parents. Now, there is in the middle of the garden another tree, the tree of life. Whoever eats the fruit from that tree will never die. Wouldn't it be a tragedy for Eve to live forever and to be eternally tormented by her fall into sin? The Lord God feels compassion for his fallen creatures, who now know good and evil, and he wants to protect them from eternal torment. So the good Lord drives them away, out of the garden, away from temptation. Imagine Eve's distress over being driven out by God the God with whom she shared such fellowship, such communion, is driving her away. Imagine her anguish over leaving her garden home. The place they've known such joy and such peace is now closed to them. God ensures that they will never again enter the garden. He places the cherubim with a flaming sword that guards the way to the tree of life. But Eve's dicey life is not over yet. She knows her man Adam intimately, and she brings forth a son named Cain. The distress of childbirth may have been overridden by the hope that this child, this firstborn son, would be the one who would crush the head of the deceiving serpent. 
Or maybe his brother Abel would fulfill the prophecy. Not so. Instead, Cain becomes the murderer of his brother, and Eve is the first mother to suffer the death of a child. She is not the last. Did Eve also lose her son Cain through estrangement as he wandered around and settled in the land of Nod? Another son was born. Genesis 4 says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. But Eve's son Seth was not the promised one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. Eve and many more generations of women lived and died, enduring the consequences of the fall, before the virgin mother brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. I'm sure the naive and innocent Eve who lived in the sinless, perfect garden never expected the dicey and dangerous troubles that she experienced. We've lived our whole existence in a fallen world, so we can't even begin to understand what it would be like to go from sinless to sinner, from free to fallen. We can learn from Eve to carry the promise of the Lord in our hearts. She was told that her seed, her offspring, would crush the serpent's head, and that came to pass, although Eve didn't live to see the promise fulfilled. In the 1600s, John Milton, who wrote the epic poem, Paradise Lost, has Eve saying these words. This further consolation yet secure I carry hence. Though all by me is lost, such favor I unworthy am vouchsafed. By me the promised seed shall all restore. Doesn't it sound like Eve was trusting in the promise of the Savior, the God-man, who would come through the womb of a woman, offspring of Eve? That's it for today. In the next Dicey Bible story, we'll ponder the life of Mary, the young virgin mother who brought forth that promised seed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dicey Stuff. Please send your ideas for future Bible stories to DiceyStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Do you have a few more minutes? Please subscribe, share, and tell your friends about us. Oh, hey. DSPS. A pastor I respect tells a joke about the creation of the first woman. Adam opens his eyes after his rib surgery, and there stands Eve in all her perfection and glory. And Adam says, Whoa, man. Badum ch. Thanks, Pastor W. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dicey Stuff, the podcast where Lois talks about this big dicey adventure called life. You're welcome to send your comments and feedback to DiceyStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Please, if you would, subscribe and share. Until next time, roll on, friends. <laughs>